You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. I'm Adam Lyons, and I am joined by a serial networker, an incredible entrepreneur, and someone who literally can take your business out of the stratosphere. I'm joined by Mark Anthony Bates. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. What is up, buddy? Hey, brother. It's good to see you, man. It was great to see you at War Room. It's always a pleasure to see you and Eve. And so I'm super stoked when she asked me to be on here. I said, if I have something of value I can contribute, bring it. I'm here. Yeah, I, I love it. Now, what I love about you is um, no matter what networking event I go to, no matter who I'm hanging out with, there you are. Like you're, you're literally everywhere. And I can never introduce you to everybody because you already know everybody before, before I get to interview you. So, you know... <laughs> Before we even talk about who you are, how do you know everyone? Um, you know what? Um, I appreciate that, Adam. Thank you. I, I keep telling people I don't know everyone. I mean, there'll be people that will bring up a name and they'll go, yeah, no, I don't know them. We go, how can you not know them? They are like this. And I'm going, you know, there, there's only so much of me to get around. And I think I want to I want to I, I give you my interpretation. I hate networking. Networking to me is like I would rather stick a fork in my eye. When somebody says, hey, come to this event, there'll be great networking. I'm going, okay, pass. What I love to do, Adam, is what you do. I love connecting. And there is a huge distinction between the two, right? Because when you're networking, you're, you're meeting people, but they, they, the, typically the interpretation is to be able to meet as many people as you can, exchange contact information, get to know a little bit about them, and maybe do a follow-up, which is great. For me, when I'm doing that, I'd rather do fewer people deeper connection. I want to be able to identify what, what's going on with them. What are their pain points? What do they need? What resources do I have that I may offer that I'd want nothing for in return? And, in, and I make this really clear and I want to make this as a distinction too. Some people think that when they make a connection with other people, you know, if I found somebody that said they needed something and I knew you, Adam, had that ability to fulfill that for them, I would connect you guys. And then that would be your deal. It's nothing to do with me. I just brought you guys, uh, you know, closer together. You might've met anyway. The challenge is, is some people feel entitled. They feel entitled when they make the connection. And Hey, by the way, if you guys do anything together, I want 10%. Well, hell no. Now, if I do something and I'm connecting people and I see the big picture of how to put the, the, the pieces together on both sides, how to identify to expand their market or go into new markets, and I'm contributing, then I may want to talk to them, but I'll meet the expectations first. I'll tell them, hey, I would love to get involved. You know, usually they offer, but if they don't, I say, I would love to be more involved. If I can help, is there a way that I can also participate in the spoils? Is it okay if, I, if we can identify something that I'm contributing to besides the connection to grow the business, may I play? And now I've said it right up front. I, Mark, I, I, love, I love your perspective. And for everyone listening, this is what Mark Anthony does. He, he comes in and just you know, really does genuinely lead with value. And that's something I, I, I'm a massive fan of. I've been teaching it for years. Um, but I, I love that you literally embody that. So, you know, all right, so at this point, what do you do in your own words? 
<laughs> or like, what are you working on that you're excited about? It's probably a better way to say it for you. <laughs> okay, so for, first off, everything I work on, I'm excited about, or I won't work on it. Okay, now mm-hmm. you may have heard Roland use my, I, I taught him my years ago, my PFM model, people, fun, money. Mm-hmm. And let me explain that really quick to the group, to you. I have, just like you do, and many of these people listen to this may have, lots of opportunities presented to them. And for, I would be, I would have the challenge of getting around people like you who were so passionate and excited about what you were working on that if you presented it to me, I may say yes when I should say not now or no, right? And, and by the way, Roland's the one that taught me how to say not now. Cause I used to tell him, I go, man, I have a hard time saying no to people. It doesn't feel good. I don't like the look on their face. He goes, you know, you don't always have to say no. You can say not now. Brilliant. That was brilliant. So with this, I said, okay, how do, what do I identify what I like working on and who I like working with? And so the model I created was PFM, which stands for people, fun, money. Number one, how does the product service or message, how does it positively impact the end user? the market? How are the people going to have better quality of life? If I understand that, and they've done a good job of articulating that. The second thing is, is the project going to be fun to do? And are you going to be fun to do it with? Because if the answer is no on either one of those, it's a hard pass. You don't need to tell me anything more because life is too short. And then the third one after that is what's the clear path to monetization? All three of those are met in that, in that particular order. Then I say, I don't say yes. I say, tell me more. So that's why when I'm answering your question of saying, I'm excited about all the projects I work on, I can say that with, with congruency and integrity. I don't do projects I'm not excited on. And so I'm, and I'm doing a lot of them in multiple verticals worldwide. Love I'll it. nail it down for you. You can tell me, but I mean. I, I mean, I would, I would love, if you wouldn't mind sharing, because I know some of the things you are kind of just mind-blowingly like out there. What, what would you say is like the most unique, impressive one that, that people oh, want to hear about? You know, <laughs> Impress it, what impresses me may not impress you or your audience, but here's what I'll tell you. And, and I'll get into this at the nugget at the end about where I think people need to focus in on their business to be smarter business owners and marketers and, and growers. And, and so during the beginning of the pandemic, I, I began to identify where were the pain points? Well, there were a lot of them. And, and a lot of people got into the PPE, which is, you know, the personal protection equipment, the mask and stuff. Everybody was going to make billions of dollars. It was just a, it was a nasty place. I didn't want to be around because I, I knew some of the people in it. I went, no, this is bad. But what I did is I started using a process which was called the theory of constraints, where you identify that bottleneck, that one weakest link, right? And during that time, what I identified was the weakest link in the very beginning was logistics and supply chain of getting the product over. UPS, uh, FedEx, uh, DHL, uh, everybody was using all their planes to go over to Hong Kong to pick up uh, masks to get them back here to the point where it got so backed up that pilots were not getting clearance before, even with their planes filled for eight hours. And so I said, well, okay, there's an issue. What's available? Well, if you know what an Airbus 380 is, it's the largest commercial airliner in the world. It's two stories. They were all parked because nobody was flying and they're not cost effective. And I said, what if we got those 380s back up in the air, literally, and started filling them with PPEs to go ahead and find that market? What if we flew them out of Guangzhou instead of out of Hong Kong where they already are in? What if we took them into Las Vegas airport and I made Las Vegas airport in the county of Clark County that owns it and operates it my partners? What if I created a partnership with other states? So that's a much longer story. But the point of that is, 
that was super exciting. Now, here's the end of that story. Everything came together except for one thing, another theory of constraint, which happened to be a new union working with a company that had to tug the aircraft and unload the cargoes. And they just came in and they were fighting and I could not remedy their issues with each other soon enough to make the deal happen because the window of opportunity was closing. Mm -hmm. Fast forward now, what I'm doing is I'm working in, um, I have a client in Hong Kong that I started coaching uh, a year and a half ago and it was only supposed to be 12 weeks. But he's a multimillionaire, he's a VC, he's a, he owns a private equity firm, he invests in real estate tech companies. And now what he's done is he's gotten value, so he brings me into the deals. I become a, that person where I can get advisory shares, what you do, you know, consulting for equity. I come in and some of the times I'll invest in the companies, you know, so I can get part of that. I'm working right now with a company that's doing a new biometric with a wearables that where it's like um, it's like an Apple watch on steroids. So where this thing has a digital gyroscope that we, that can tell when you're in a prone position, when you go to a vertical position and how fast the velocity of the fall was. Oh, wow. Right? That's so now, this is what's really cool on this. Now, it isn't about the hardware. It's about the software. It's about the AI and the machine learning. And it's about the data that we collect and scrub later to put out for other things. This can start emitting. Uh, it can start emitting the vital signs. So, for example, let's say your grandmother, she, you know, that life alert help. I've fallen and I can't get up. Great little tool. If the people are conscious, if they <laughs> fall and hit their head and they're knocked out, if they have a heart attack, a heart attack or a stroke, or if they if they just pass out. Can't the serious not. ones, right? The serious yeah. problem. So this this device will not only do that, but if they've fallen downstairs, it has a GPS in it. It will see how far the descent was. If they wow. fell out of a window, if they fell down a cliff, if they fell somewhere else, if they're in a car accident, they can identify where the vehicle is by the bracelet. So on this, it starts. So what I've asked them to do, I said, I want you to be able to transmit this to the EMTs, to the first responders before. So it notifies the person that's on the contact list, but it will notify the EMTs. So the EMT starts getting your vitals before they're even in the equipment, in the, in the, in the, in the ambulance coming, and then can identify by a dashboard we're creating where does it go from there? Where, based on the injury and the vitals, which hospital or clinic should they take them to based on those injuries before they've even seen them? So I'm on the board there. I invested in the company. I'm very active. I'm, I'm a very active investor in almost every company I'm in because I believe I have either a contact or resource or I don't know what I don't know. And I just throw crazy shit out there and they humor me and they go, that's great. Don't do what this dude says. <laughs> so I, I love that. I love what you said, right? You don't know what you don't know. Even if you don't know it, you have the resource or the contact to get it. And I've, I've actually you know, spoken to you about this. True confidence isn't, I know I can do it. Mm. It's, I know I have someone that knows how to do it and I can put you in, uh, in contact with them, which actually does bring up an interesting question. We've got one of our listeners, um, because uh, we record live, uh, would like to come live and ask you a question. So um, sure. Hannah, do you want to come live and ask your question about connections? Yes. Hi, Mark. I am Hi, Adam's assistant, Hannah. And I just thought of a really good question to ask when you were talking about connections. Um, when you are trying to make that connection, uh, you're occasionally going to get rejection. And so I'm just wondering some tips you may have to help mm -hmm. handle the rejection. Well, first off, know that you may get rejected, but rejection. Uh, so I guess here's the thing. I go in like, like, really ignorant, like, Hey, 
you know, I don't think about being rejected ever, 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 ever. I've never thought about that. And back when, when Adam had his dating stuff, I don't ever, if I, if that is even an inkling that I may get rejected, I'm going to start setting up the actual uh, environment for that to, to perhaps happen, right? People, depending on who I'm connecting with, I'm going to be very, very, um, very consciously aware of who I want to connect with. But when they, if they're rejecting you, and this is interesting, and, and I won't mention the friend's name because it's a mutual friend of mine and Adam's, and, and he was having issues in his personal life of feeling rejected by these women that he was dating. And I said, don't look at it as rejection. Just look at it. You haven't made that connection yet, right? So when you go up to somebody, if you feel that you're going to get rejected, know that there's some people there's just some people that they're doing you a favor. All right. You are, they are self-selecting out of your life because the reality is Hannah, if you come up there with the intention of bringing value of just bringing good energy of not wanting anything from them, but that, and they reject you from that before even knowing anything about you say, thank you. Thank you for going ahead and deselecting out of my life because you know what? The next person you go to is that person you should be connecting with. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting. There's a lot of people who may not know who I am. And when I go to an event and somebody introduces me and, and, and I think Adam, it was Jen at war room was talking about the cat mirror, the mirror cat thing where they're looking around and I've had people where they shake my hand. They're not looking at me. They're looking around as who, who's more important in the room that they need to connect with. Cause they know nothing about me. And then what's funny is later on, they talk to an Adam or another one of our friends and they go, Oh yeah, Mark Anthony's a super connector. He's a badass. He knows this stuff. All of a sudden they change and they're really nice, but you've already shown their true colors to me, right? Then I tell them next, go to the back of the line. Always walk into a room and up to somebody as if they're your friend, if you're going to contribute something to them and know that you may not always make that connection and say, thank you. Does that help, Hannah? It does a lot. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I can go into deeper stuff for you, but. (laughs) You know, and, and just by the way, for you, I'm going to give a, a plug to somebody. His name is Joe Sweeney. He wrote a book. He, he was in the sports industry for a long time. I think he used to be a commentator for ESPN. And he wrote a book called uh, Contact or uh, Networking is a Contact Sport. And he has a I've never I haven't read it. And he knows that. But he's a friend and he's got a checklist in there for people who do want to network. There's nothing wrong with networking. It doesn't it's not my thing, but it doesn't mean that other people can't get extreme value from it. So if you get that book and or if you look it up online, there is a whole checklist of the things that you can do before you go to an event on how to connect, what sort of things you should look for, how you should do the process. So it might be a really good, valuable resource for your listeners. I I love that. So here's a, here's a fun one of, of all the years of, of doing entrepreneurial stuff. And, you know, I'm coming up to 20 years of doing this at this point. I would say there's one question that comes up time and time again. And, you know, you're kind of like the, the, the magic man, right? Like people come to you and go, Hey, here's a problem. I wish I could solve it. So this isn't, this isn't a problem I have, but it's definitely something that I would say I get brought to me a lot. And it would be nice to get your perspective on the answer, which is people want more leads. And it's like, it comes up time and time again. How do I get more leads? How do I get more leads? Now that's something that, you know, you don't ever seem to be short of. Um, what, what would be your answer to this? Someone comes to you and is like, hey, Mark Anthony, we need more leads. What, what would you do? You know, Adam, I appreciate the question. I understand where you're going with it, but it's like saying I need more air. Okay. <laughs> 
What, 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 why, why do you need more air? Is that space? Do you need something to breathe that has more O2 in it? What, what's the, what's the deal? So when you talk about leads, I don't give a shit about leads. I want quality, right? So I'd rather have less leads and a better quality lead, right? And then when you're looking at paid traffic and how much, you know, how much more it is and everything, I, it's so counterintuitive to me what these guys do at Facebook and everywhere else when they keep raising it because they're pushing out the people that built the company in the first place, right? People that have a, a million, two or three million, five million dollar a month ad spends great. They can dump all that shit in there. But what about your listeners? How do they do that? Right? So what are the connections? So one of the things I found out, who's got your leads, who's got your market, how can you partner with them? Right? How can you take leads that didn't convert well for them? And maybe you can convert them into your stuff and then vice versa. What do you have? And how can you help build up that list? How do you help to contribute to each other and build your credibility through that person as well? And vice versa. There's so many different ways to get leads. Leads in itself don't matter to me. It's like the networking thing of hitting as many people as you can. I wanna know, I'd rather have 50 great quality leads that I can convert into a high ticket item or look at the lifetime value of that customer over two, three, five years, right? Where I know what kind of revenue I'm gonna bring in from it. So those are my leads. So when you're talking about getting more leads, it's all relevant, right? To what you're doing, what you want and how you can do it. I, I love that. And I, I agree hundred yeah. percent. You know, um, I was thinking about, we have this uh, Dungeons and Dragons shop. It's one of my businesses. I love and, that. Uh, yeah. That is, it, it's, it's so fun. I, I don't know if I gave you the details, but we, I bought the business three years ago for $5,000. And now it generates 20 to 40,000 a month. And, um, and I, I used it to purchase a building when there was a commercial dip during COVID in 2020 yeah. and uh, the building's now worth almost double. So we've got about 500 grand in equity. So the, the whole thing has just been a, a monumental success, but my favorite part about it is we exist off of 30 customers. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and why, right. And, and here you just, you brought up a really key distinction in that. Well, as well, Adam, I remember when you bought it, you bought it just before COVID. Yep. I remember when you were do, talking about it and when you, and you were super excited. It's like, you, you know, you're pretty damn successful at everything you've done. I just bought for five grand a Dungeons and Dragons place, you know, nearby me. Cool. Because I knew if anybody was going to convert that into something that would be even much cooler and would start generating some really serious revenue, that would be you. Right. And you did that. And you did that during the middle of a pandemic. OK, mm -hmm. and that's really important, too. You have X amount that are bringing in most of the revenue over there. If people were to look at right now, if they go back, if they haven't done it, who's bringing in most of the revenue of your company? If you did the 80-20 rule, right, and you found 20 percent of those people, how do you get rid of them or how do you sell those leads or how do you push those leads to somewhere else in trade, right, to do that? But one of the things that, that I think people were really needing to know, and I was going to save this more to the end, is sustainability, scalability. You know this, you already work with people on how to, how to scale their business. But the sustainability thing is really interesting because even when I was doing the things with the, with the mask, I knew eventually that there would be, when the pandemic was gone, things would change. So every project I work on or put together is the question after I put this together, great, this is how this works in today's environment. How do we make it sustainable post-pandemic? Post-COVID, can I still make this? And every single project that I started and created or worked on with the clients, we had the next level of evolution to make sure it wasn't a shot in the dark because or a one-shot one wonder. Because you look at Peloton, 
Peloton did amazing. You look at their stock, they were crushing it. They didn't think about what to do after the pandemic began to subside and people wanted to get out of their house. They didn't want to pay for their memberships. They wanted to go to their gyms. They wanted to hang out. So now we got all this equipment. So what does Peloton do? They raise their rates, their monthly membership fees. Brilliant. When you have less people, what would I do? I would have gone over there and done a buyback program. I'd buy the equipment back. I might even open up my own Peloton gym franchise, and I'd already have the equipment refurbished to put in there and to provide for my franchisees. So I would get it out of the house for them. I'd be helping them out. And of course, the buyback may be, you know, 20 cents, 30 cents on the dollar. Who cares? Right. But they didn't think about that. Netflix putting out all sorts of content. Content's gotten more expensive for them, but they've gone down because people aren't sitting at home binge watching. So what could, you know, what sort of things would you do as your business? And we're still in a technical pandemic, but look at this and say, it's never too late. How can you make your business work once this is gone, masks are gone, vaccines are gone, and people are friends again, right? You know, because that's no longer the topic of conversation. What can you do in the future? See, I, lo- I love that you said because that's exactly what we did. When, when we built the game, like we bought the game store and uh, we didn't know what it was going to do, but, you know, we knew we were going to do something with it. And then the minute the pandemic hit, we dropped from 5000 a month, which is what it was doing when we bought it, um, to $53. And that's when I realized, well, I need to do something. And so we went in and we, we tidied it all up. And then, um, yeah, we, do, we were doing great. We we're doing about 12000 a month or something and everything was wonderful. And then they announced that Tesla's factory is opening up in town. and Everyone's cheering. They're all so happy. And I start having a panic attack. And everyone's like, what is wrong with you? I'm not really a panic attack, but you know, and I'm like, you don't understand. Rent's going to go up. This store only works because our rent is cheap. There's no way the rent stays this cheap forever. We have to buy. And thankfully, that was when the commercial prices dropped. So I was like, we're going to buy right now. So we pulled out all the stops, used the company, the game store itself to fund the mortgage. Nice. And the, 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 the hedge was always... If rent goes up, we can always shut down the store and just rent out the space um, to cover everything. But I mean, we haven't needed to because the store is just doing great. But that, so there's there's already a plan B that we don't have to worry about. Um, so well, I, I love and that's product. brilliant. And I'll tell you, if you look at this, when you brought up a really good point about Tesla bringing in the manufacturing over there, people say don't listen to the news. I say bullshit. I listen to news all the time. I only listen to the news that's relevant to the markets I want to work on, though. Right. So I can use Google alerts and I use another thing and I just forgot the name of it. But so it lets me know when things are coming up, because here's what's really relevant. Tesla, get, or you know, Elon got pissed off about some things in California. Lots to be pissed off about. I live in California. Right. And then he decided to open up in Texas. Right. So when you start paying attention to what's happening to business, where it's moving to, where the industries are, how can you capitalize on that, on something that you can go into and do what you did, acquire the building when the, when the prices are lower, fund it from the sources where it's not coming out of your pocket, but it's coming out of your business. Right. The things that you and Roland teach on, on so much of this. And then when you're able to go ahead and do that, now you're way ahead of the game. And some of that, by the way, if some people aren't doing this, you don't need to be in commercial real estate to start pulling permits. You can go down to the city, you can go to the county, and you can see what companies have already put in for permits, what areas. And if you can see and identify that that area is targeted for growth based on those permits, now it's not 100%. 
But if they're putting in the permits, if Walmart's looking at something and putting in a, per, a permit, you know, Home Depot, Starbucks is putting in some more things. They have already done the, re the research for you. They know what the growth of your area and your market may be. And because of their targeted demographics, you pull their demographics together and you figure out, hey, how do I serve that demographic in that market based on their research that I didn't have to pay a dime for? I, I love it. Like, uh, so I, I worked in real estate for many years. It's something I don't really talk about, but like, I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable. Um, and I've, you know, so far I've won on every property I've ever, I've ever done for myself. And um, one of my favorite tips on that, exactly what you said about with the permits, I'm always like, I usually join Facebook groups of a community before I move there. And they will, they will share it because I don't have to do the research. There'll be somebody that has already done it. It's like, did you know? And, all, and it's always funny because they'll hate it. Like we've got a film studio that's opening up in Bastrop, which most people don't know about. And um, Bastrop historically was a film studio town. If you know, there was a Spiderwood oh, Spider oh. Studios, I think in the 70s, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was filmed in Bastrop. Um, which is where my, my game story is, but there's a new studio that's just opening. And already we had the Shazam DC movie was made here um, and uh, Penguins, the Disney film was done here. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of movies, but, but we've got more and more coming. So like you can tell that it's going to grow. But my, my tip, I knew all this long before any of it was announced. Not that I knew this was going to happen, but this is my general tip. If you have a city and the city is highlighted as growing, mm -hmm. don't try and live in the city live 45 minutes away. The reason being, while everyone's moving into the city, the city prices go through the roof, but the areas within 45 minutes don't move until five years later, yeah. when the city gets overcrowded and the successful people decide, well, we're gonna live just outside of the city and drive in when we need to. Yep. And this has been my tip since forever. When I first moved to Austin, I went to South Austin when everyone was like, there's no point going to South Austin. Everything's above uh, Ben White Boulevard. And I took a little place, 35 minutes south. And before I knew it, doubled in value. Likewise, I've done the same thing again. I live about 45 minutes east of Austin. Right. And I, I just found out recently, my personal house, I bought it for $360,000. Yes, it was valued at 2.4 million. It's crazy, right? In five years. Oh, six years, six years. Now you look at that. And by the way, when you're talking about that, the studio is doing stuff there. Um, a really dear friend of mine, Denai Garcia, is actually a she's in a TV show called Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, and I know it. It's great. Fear, Fear the Walking Dead films in Austin, yeah. outside of Austin and has been for the last three years. They used to film in Mexico. But because of that. The studio. So when you're looking at that's AMC, AMC will start looking at what else can we do here? We've got resources. We already have locals that we have working on set. So just what you're talking about now, I'm not, I'm not, I can't disclose where they film because that's, I would be shot. I would be the walking dead then. But, um, <laughs> but the, uh, the point of that is just what you're talking about, right? Just what you're talking about. And, and another thing too, another great resource is the, um, the film uh, commission that every city just about has or County and they will know when permits have been put in to film in those areas. So if you have a small business, how can you bid to be part of what's going on? How can you serve that 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 time that they're filming? And some of these some of these, you know, the show, I mean, like Fear the Walking Dead has been there for three years. How could you do things even during a movie? A movie can take 18 months to two years plus. So that gives you some business. It gives you credibility. Right. These are these are all things. And what I talk about, excuse my language, fuck the how. 
right? Because people say, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, I don't know. Who, I don't know how to do that. You know what you do? You pick up your phone and you start scrolling through and you go, who do you know that? And that's yeah. the question you ask. Who do I know that knows somebody or knows somebody, right? You only have to be a few degrees of separation. It's self, because we, we talk, but like there's something like silly, you're reminding me of things. When I, when I first come to a new town, I told you I joined groups, but um, because of the film connection, I joined a film group and I used to once a month meet up at this film group and meet people. And this ended up with me becoming friends with a producer from Universal Studios that commuted from Austin to, uh, to LA. Mm-hmm. And we just became friends. We never worked on anything together. And every time we hung out, I would always say, when are you going to bring me into a film? I just say it like every time I was like, we'd meet for dinner. We'd hang out. You know, we were friends with like, we'd hang out with his kids and hang out with our kids, you know, like family stuff. And I'd be like, why are you going to bring me into a film? And I'd just say it as like a joke. So one day he phones me in a panic. I'm like, you okay? He goes, listen, we're filming just outside of Austin and we have, uh, we're doing a movie with Tom Arnold and we're in trouble. Half our staff have left and it was nothing against him. There was some issue with one of the staff members and it caused conflict. And a whole bunch of the staff walked off. And so they didn't have basic crew. They had cinematography, but they didn't have like people to open gates. Like it was the, the, the generic staff left. And they were like, and we, we need people tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And he's it's like 8 p.m. at night. And he goes, you're always asking me, how do I get in a film? He's like, well, I need five bodies that can drive a car from here to there. Or he's like, you get me five bodies by tomorrow. And I'll give you a credit in the movie as one of the <laughs> assistant producers. And so I had my, my team at the time and we were kind of in our relaxed period. You know, it wasn't much work on. So I was like, all right, guys, good news. We're not going to work in the office for the next two weeks. You're all going to work on a film set. And so my whole staff got uprooted from doing web stuff and everything else they do. And we spent a whole week, uh, two weeks actually filming and making movies. And it was hysterical because no one was qualified except me to work on a film set. They were all like buying lunch and doing like basic, but they loved it. It was like working first thing in the morning. They would say they worked on a film set. They got to hang out with a bunch of, a bunch of celebrities um, and like got to see them all. And of course the movie went off without a hitch after that and everything was great, but it was a great example, right? It, it, it was never, um, Hey, you know, work, let's work on this cool project together. It was just, I knew the person and who else is he going to phone at 8 PM at night for a yeah. solution for 6 AM? You know, but, but you know what you got back to in that whole thing, what was the, it was the contact. It was the connection, right? It didn't have to do with what you might be able to do. I mean, it was because they were in a bind. You were able to fulfill that bind. Everybody that listens to this or ever will listen to this. You don't, you, again, you don't need to know the how, right? I mean, I teach this, fuck the how it will come. The challenge is I'm going to tell everybody here, the vast majority of the projects that I get involved in, I know nothing about. I mean, I don't know anything about the industry, maybe a little bit on the airline stuff. I knew that because I had some airline experience and I fly, but I'm just saying most of the stuff I don't, I know enough to be dangerous, but I can see how to connect the dots, but I only need to know who is the people, who are the people that I can curate that I have enough of uh, credibility with, right? And that, again, that's about connecting. You don't have credibility with somebody because you exchange a business card with them at an event. You have credibility when somebody else gives you credibility, third-party credibility. You have credibility when you've offered to do something without asking for anything in exchange and you follow through. You do what you say, you say what you do, and when you don't, you tell somebody, right? Those things, that consistency, 
You're genuine and authentic, not because you say you are, but because of your actions that are massively consistent all the way through there. So really, the reality is everything in this business, everything in marketing, everything is communication and connection. It really is. I, dude, I, yeah, I love this. All right, so we're, we're kind of getting on to time. And uh, at the very end, I love to ask people, what do smart businesses do? So in your own words, what do they do? I, for me, smart businesses will put together an exit strategy and work backwards and reverse, right? Because Adam, I will tell you, when I speak at entrepreneurial small business events, I'll ask the people in the room, how many people have an exit strategy? About 70% on average do not. About 20% do, and I can rip it apart, and about 10% have a really good one. And some people may say, oh, I'm going to do, I love this. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. I'm never going to sell the company. Well, I would ask those people to time travel with me for a moment because I did this with Continental Airlines. Let's go back. Let's go back five years, 10 years, 15 years. Is there anything that you or someone you know was very passionate about, could never see themselves, never doing that again, always doing it, always for the rest of their life? And 10, 15 years later, they're not. And usually most people will say, yeah. And I go, well, what happened? Something happened in their life. They lost their passion. They had to change direction. So let's go time travel forward. Five years, 10 years, 15 years. Is it possible since it happened once in your life or maybe more, is it possible in the future that it could happen again? And if it is, could you, is it better to have an exit strategy and never need it? Then to be in a place where you can see that there's an opportunity to sell and you're not as passionate or you need the money and you don't have something in place and you're scurrying and somebody who had to buy wanted to come up to you, hand you $15 million of cash, but you didn't have any way to show them the valuation and how you wanted to exit. It's just better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it, period. I agree. 100%. And I love that. And I think of all the people that we've ever had on the, on the podcast, no one's ever mentioned the importance of an exit strategy, but I, I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm all about M&A and uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So that's great. Um, Mark Antti. So if people want to learn more about, if they want to find more about you, what's the best way to connect with you? So the, here's, here's, the, here's the good news in the down 20 years. I've never had a, I have not had a website, no business cards, no promotion, no marketing, right? Nothing. Um, and it's worked for me because all my business comes by referral at the level of where I get to get into. If they want to find out something, they can Google me. Uh, they can find stuff about me. If they want to hit me up, the probably best way to do it would be on Instagram. DM me on Instagram. And uh, if you want, you know, just to full disclosure, uh, I am uh, tapped out. I don't have room for clients. I always have room to make new connections. And if there's something that I can bring a value to your team afterwards, I mean, I have a list of things that I can just shove out there. I'd be happy to send it to them if they DM me, if they want it. And my Instagram is Mark Anthony Bates. Perfect. There we go. Mark Anthony, thank you so much for joining oh, us God. here. Thank you, and, ladies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, from everybody here, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. You too. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.